Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 461st show is Dr. Anna Peterson, Associate Professor of History at Luther College, who will be talking to us about the history of Scandinavian immigration to the United States. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. To give our listeners a little bit of review, Dr. Peterson had two points in the conclusion of our radio show about why she thought uh, it is relevant to study Scandinavian migration to the United States. So we're going to let her um, pretty much talk a little bit about the first and then conclude with the second. So the floor is yours, Dr. Peterson. Yeah, thanks. So I think the two reasons that I would point to is, first of all, all of the descendants that are still living in the United States, which number in the millions, who feel a strong connection to this cultural heritage and this history. And it's important for them um, in understanding who they are and where they come from. I mentioned a little bit about Sometimes learning this history can feel uncomfortable, um, and I think that that's good. Often when I teach Scandinavian immigration history at Luther, um, I have students who, who do identify as Scandinavian Americans and who mm, are surprised to learn um, some of the facets of the history, um, such as what I mentioned earlier about Finns being lynched, for example, um, but also the ways in which Scandinavians are really involved and participate in the dispossession of Native Americans in the land taking. And so learning about those uncomfortable aspects of the history alongside, you know, some of the, the glorious aspects, um, as your wife might say, are important. Too. <laughs> might? Might? No. <laughs> and then the second point, um, which is for those who maybe don't feel a strong connection um, or don't have any ethnic relationship to the Scandinavian countries. Um, I think that it's important in the general sense if we're learning about immigration and there's this rhetoric in the United States that we're a nation of immigrants. And what does that mean? Um, I think that the Scandinavians offer an interesting case, particularly if we're talking about this racial hierarchy and what did it mean to be white and, and how did these immigrants coming from these Northern European countries that were seen as white, how did, how did that influence their experience in the United States? But also how did they also have to negotiate a place here and how did they do so? So I think that it's important for understanding who we are as a nation of immigrants and what that means. Um, what, we think about and know about in terms of race in the United States as well. Okay. Ed, you got the first question. Thanks, John. Um, Anna, you mentioned that um, quite a few of the immigrants that came over from Scandinavia obviously had the resources to do that. Um, but even if you are given land, it took some financial wherewithal to be able to to break that sod, you needed horses, you needed some equipment. It took a little money to get on your feet. How exactly did immigrants to this country from Europe, what, how physically did they bring their wealth with them? Hmm. 
Well, a lot of them brought their wealth in terms of small items that they could bring on the journey that they could then sell once getting here. So um, family heirlooms, for example, that were made of silver um, most often. And so that's one way that they physically brought their wealth with them. And um, sometimes that's why you see them bringing jewelry. um, And then sometimes they're going to keep a few of those pieces and and wear them, like I mentioned, like these brooches. Um, But often they're they're bringing those things to sell so that they have some money. And then another way that once we get past kind of that first wave is that we have these immigrant communities already settled here that then when subsequent waves of immigrants come, they have communities. And when we're talking about Norwegians, they often have communities of people from the very same district that they, that they left, that they knew, you know, these people from back home and they would come and they would stay with them. Um, usually over the winter and kind of make some money and amass enough wealth that then they could they could buy things that they needed for planting. Okay. And so the they Swedes, brought your, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, oh, I was just going to say that the Swedes, again, after the first wave, they're less engaged in agricultural production and they're going to cities and working as wage laborers and therefore like the the wealth needed for that is, of course, different. So they brought jewelry and such because um, there was a sort of universal value to those and there would have been really no common currency that they could have lined their pockets with gold coins in Norwegian and then in Norway and then have bring them over here um, and have them honored. But jewelry is a more what you say, commonly recognized form of wealth. Yeah, and I think also, you know, the people who are coming, they're not the poorest of the poor, but they're also not necessarily wealthy. And so they didn't necessarily have a lot of, like, money um, or coins to be using. And so they ha- this is the kind of wealth that they had access to or things that they inherited, for example, or family heirlooms more frequently than, you know, bringing actual money with. Yeah. Terry. Yes. And I'd like to know a little bit more about the religious denominations of Scandinavian countries. Um, I grew up in a very small town in Iowa. We had only one church. It was called the Evangelical Free Church. And I was surprised to find out that it had a Swedish origin to it. Can you talk about um, the religion and the churches uh, that sprung up here in Iowa? Yeah. So as I already mentioned, the church kind of played a really central role in these immigrant communities and and played a central role in them being able to maintain and continue um, many of their cultural traditions. There were a lot of (laughs) different denominations, um, even just within Lutheranism. Um, And my students always joke when we talk about this formative religion period um, for immigrants that they just call it the chapter on all the synods because <laughs> there were so many synods and they were constantly fighting and breaking and then creating their new synod. And there weren't a lot of um, elements of cooperation. They disagreed a lot on theology um, in the late 19th century. And per, like in, in Decora, for example, there is, a church called First Lutheran Church, and they call themselves that because 
they had a disagreement and people broke away and they created Decorah Lutheran Church. And so then they called themselves First Lutheran Church. Um, <laughs> and this was just happening all over the places. There, there were a lot of churches, not only because there was a lot of immigrants and it took a lot of time, um, if we're thinking about the transportation of the day, um, to get from your farm to church. And so you needed a lot of churches so that, you know, people could get, could get to them. Um, so there's just a lot of them for that reason, but there's also just a lot because of these theological disagreements. But then over time, as we get further kind of into the generations of people living here, um, second, third generation Americans, we get further away from Scandinavia and some of those doctrinal issues we do start to see more cooperation, um, particularly during World War One, And part of that is in response to the anti-immigrant backlash that occurred during World War One. But they start to begin to see like, hey, maybe we should be cooperating and working together. And um, maybe we don't need so many synods. Um, and so we start to see some uniting of the churches. And so we get something like the Norwegian Lutheran Church um, and, and a lot of these synods kind of coming together. And then over, you know, over time, that just keeps happening more and more until what we have today, like the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, in which a lot of these different ethnic denominations um, were able to merge and come together, even beyond kind of within Norwegians, that took some time for Norwegians to come together. And then we see the Scandinavians coming together and forming Scandinavian kind of united Lutheran churches and then, right, over time, even, right, we have Germans getting added into the mix, too, and um, other Lutherans. So there, it's really complicated history um, because there are so many disagreements. Well, and it's fun when you say that, um, I, I couldn't agree more because one of my favorite little stories with my uh, mother-in-law, who is a marvelous individual, my wife's from a small town north of Mason City, and there was a Lutheran church in the small town. And down the road, about three and a half miles, was the other Lutheran church, and they were supposedly um, the same church because they shared the same uh, pastor. And, but to ask her, why don't we go to that church for a change three and a half miles down the road, the answer was never, not never, but no, because that was where the country <laughs> Scandinavians went, and we were the town Scandinavians, and we went here. Mm. And I looked at it, I was raised Catholic, so you don't quite have those barriers. I'm not saying we're, we're not perfect by any means, but you know, we would, we would use the communal churches all the time. And it, mm -hmm. it wasn't that my mother-in-law was angry or, or against those people. It just was the system was set up, and this is part of the system. And the way you're mm -hmm. describing all these disagreements with the synods and all that, uh, my mother-in-law's deal is a much, much smaller raindrop in the massive ocean of this situation. But um, mm -hmm. it was definitely evident in the small communities. Well, and I wonder this idea of town and country Scandinavians was maybe actually rooted in some of these doctrinal differences of the late 19th century that just kind of manifest in a different way um, today. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is amazing. Uh, I'm sure that you, we've, um, you could write 15 dissertations on where the churches have gone <laughs> with the mm -hmm. migrations to the United States. 
Um, we would mm-hmm. like to thank our guests for the 461st show, Dr. Anna Peterson, Associate Professor of History at Luther College, who talked to us about the history of Scandinavian immigration to the United States and why Luther is so much better than Wartburg. The History Bus for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROIs. It's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALAHD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search and click on the first icon and scroll to find ROI shows. You can also find all your favorite shows on streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.